Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. It's wonderful to be together. If you're visiting with us, we do very much consider you our honored guests, and uh, we're so glad you came our way and see a lot of familiar faces and uh, some that are going to become familiar as it goes on. But as mentioned, we'd love to have you anytime and every time. Uh, we here at Franklin County uh, love people, love their souls. Most of all, we love God, and uh, we're glad we can be here today. I'm going to mention one thing before we get into our lesson, uh, and it's going to come from the text that Ben just read for us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to talk about preaching the cross. And I can tell you, even looking at the cross this week, the more I look at the cross, the more I'm amazed what God gave for me. And when it's comparable to anything I've had to give up for him, like I've done nothing. But I do want to mention this. Um, the Lynch family, Mark and Suzanne, along with their um, daughter, Faith. See, I almost called her another name. You know? But anyway, uh, Mark and Suzanne, uh, it's their desire to uh, come and be a member, recognize a member of the congregation and work alongside us and encourage us and us encourage them. And they are recommitting their life to the Lord, asking for your prayers. Uh, and they're all in. And, uh, you know, we talked about that the other day. And so we're so pleased for that. So uh, the Lynn's family, we're happy to have you here. And the church said, amen. amen. That's a great thing. Uh, we'll share a meal together, Lord willing, after the preacher gets done. But anyway, uh, we hope you'll stay and enjoy that. And if you say you only got two tables, there's tables back and three more rooms back there. So, And if we need overflow, we got a big deck out back, and that's usually where they send me outside to eat. But anyway, preaching the cross. You know, a passage that so many people know so well is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. You know, sometimes I don't think they understand what that means, gave his only begotten son. I don't think that passage is primarily meaning Jesus leaving heaven to come here. He gave his son sacrificially. And so when you look at the cross and all that went on at the cross, and we're going to read some passages about the cross, but I do want us to notice from where we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, same message, but two different reactions. To some people, it's just Christianity on a biblical level is downright foolishness. Some people think God ought to just accept whatever I want to give him. Now, I'm going to take time today, so if you've never heard me preach before, but I'm going to take time today. Most of these passages, I'm going to slow down and turn to them so you can turn to them and usually they're up on that board too. But if you don't trust us, you get, if you need a Bible, I'll hand you one. But I want you to know it's from God's Word. It isn't right because Kendall said so. It isn't right because a Franklin County Church of Christ decided this. It's right because God said so. When I was a little boy, I don't ever remember learning this song, so I've known it all my life. I sang about Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And I believe that's what Christianity has to be. I get tired of I think and I feel. and Okay, I do think and I do have feelings, but biblical truth, God wants to make sure we all know what it is. And it doesn't change with the whim of where you and I are emotionally or what we're dealing with. And it doesn't change with society 
and it doesn't change, hadn't changed for 2,000 years. And if I had time, we'd point back and show you that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And His Word, the Word of God, abides forever. And we need to be sure of that. But I want to show you something, and I think we have to remember this when we talk about the cross. First of all, the cross... I'm okay if someone has on a cross necklace today or cross earrings or cross this or cross that. But he's not talking about a little gold piece of jewelry here. He's talking about this horrendous, horrendous way that the Romans executed criminals. They didn't gas them and let them go off to sleep. They didn't put them in an electric chair and get it done in a hurry. They didn't even hang them by the neck and break them right then. If you do any study of crucifixion, you'll see on average it took about 72 hours to die on a cross. 72 hours. And usually what happened, the exhaustion of picking yourself up to breathe, you could no longer do it, so you suffocated because you couldn't pick yourself up to breathe anymore. That's why they came to break the legs. Because the Jews didn't want anybody up there on the Sabbath. It is peculiar that Jesus is already dead, but he already told us, no man can take my life, but I will give it. We sing songs sometimes like I could have, he could have called 10,000 angels. That's true. That's an understatement of what the passage says. It says he could have called 12 legions from the best of my knowledge and study allegiance about 6,000, so he could have called 10,000 plus about 62,000 more. I'm not sure he needed any of them. He was always in control. That makes the cross even more difficult for me to understand. He could have got down off at any time he wanted. But not everybody's reaction to the cross or the preaching of the cross is the same. I'm getting turned to it. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. Philippians 3 and verse 18. Listen to this. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. He talks about that pattern up in the verse preceding that we're supposed to follow in our city. Sometimes we've got brethren who claim, but they don't live according to it. We talked back in the teenage class today about he who has an ear, let him hear. We talked about the difference from the parable of the soils and the good soil was the one who then observed what was said. We also looked back at the wise man, the foolish man of Matthew chapter 7. What's the difference of the wise man, the foolish man? Not what they heard, but one heard and did nothing. The other one heard and acted upon it. So you think about this. The biggest enemies are the cross or the people that wear the name of Christ but don't live according to the message. They're way worse than the world. And so the cross, it has to be the motivator. It has to be what gets us. So if you've got your Bibles handy, I'm going to read a passage a little longer than I usually read. But it's over in Matthew chapter 27, but I think we have to look at this. We can look at it in the other gospel accounts too, but... Matthew chapter 27. Now, usually when I get to talking about the cross, I want to hurry and get to the resurrection. And I will tell you that thousands and thousands and thousands of people were crucified on a cross. But there's only one 
There's only one who three days later rose from the grave and that tomb's still empty of his body. Because after 40 days after his resurrection, he walked around on this earth. Hundreds of people saw him, 400 at one time. So he was highly visible. And then he ascended into heaven and one day he will return to take the faithful home. Well, I wish we had time to mention all those passages, but I'll never get to any of that. But follow with me as I start reading at verse 27 of Matthew 27. Then the soldier of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, and they stripped him, huh, publicly stripped him, and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. I bet they softly put it on there, you think? They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him. Now, I'm going to tell you why, and you've, if you're members here, you've heard me say this before. I don't like to get hit in the mouth, but you're probably going to get less reaction out of me if you hit me in the mouth than if you spit on me. They spit on Jesus. I'm sure they spit right in his face. And they took a reed and began to beat him on his head. Already had a crown of thorns on it. And after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him and put his own garment back on him and led him away to, be, to crucify him. As they were coming out... Uh, they found a man from Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear the cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, you do know what crucified means, don't you? Nailed. They nailed him to the cross. When they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. Huh. That means he's hanging up there for everyone to see with no garments on. We could go back and look at the horrendous beating he's already received, received within an inch of his life. Setting down, they began to keep watch over him. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which reads, Jesus, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, just making more fun. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, these religious leaders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He could have. He is the King of Israel. Let, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. Now, if I had a little footnote beside that, I'd say liars. But 
And then he makes a quote from Psalm 22. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were insulting him with the same words. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the, all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The saddest words ever spoken on the planet. And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, um, this man is calling on Elijah and he continues on with all kinds of things that he says for us. But when you get on down to verse 50, it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up the spirit. And at that time, the veil in the temple was torn. Jesus died. Boy, if I had time, we could break that whole thing down. I could keep you here till dark. But wow. And you know, every time I read it, the way it hits me when I know some of the other passages we're going to look at today, my sins did that. That makes you swallow hard, doesn't it? He did that for me. For God so loved the world, he could have saved him from that. God says, Kendall, I love you enough. I'm going to let him do it. I, can, I, I can't wrap my head hardly around that. Am I incredibly thankful for it? Do I believe it with all my heart? Amen. But every time I think about the adjustments the Bible demands in our life, and we think it's so tough, you can't live like this, you can't do that, you got to get out of this, you got to do this, and we think those are such a big demands, just read that chapter. And then my words is quit being a crybaby. Wow. Now, I'm thankful that chapter 28 comes around. Told you I'd have to get to that. But chapter 28 comes around. And a couple of ladies show up at the tomb early on Sunday morning. Well, they didn't get there early enough on Sunday morning because before they got there, Jesus had been in there long enough. Early on Sunday morning, he was raised from the dead. His father raised him from the dead, never to die again but to reign eternally. But he had to die on that cross for me. Also think about in Matthew 26, if we just back up there real quick, I don't have time to read it all, but Matthew 26, starting at about um, verse 36, we got the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross the night before. Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, he's, he's got three of his closest men with the three of his closest apostles. And Jesus knows what he's about to go through, and he is in huge emotional turmoil. So much that he asks his apostles, you go over here and keep watch. And he goes and he falls on his face in the dirt. That's pretty serious prayer when you fall on your face in the dirt. When's the last time you fell on your face in the dirt and prayed? You might have to say, I've never done that, Kendall. That's what Jesus did. And he asked the Father, because he knows what he's about to go through. He says, if this cup could pass, please allow it. 
But then he says, but Father, this isn't about my will. If that's your will, I'm ready. And he goes back to check on the guys. They're snoozing, sleeping. These are the guys he's going to die for. They can't even stay awake for a little while. He goes and prays three times. Every time he comes back, they're still they're asleep again. He leaves that garden of Gethsemane, and another one of his close friends named Judas shows up and betrays him. Think about the sarcasm built into this by kissing him. I guess that literally was the kiss of death, right? Hmm. Wow, so much. So much. Well, I want you to see a few things with me. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at something in Romans 5 and Romans 6. And I want you to know that this was God's plan. Now, here's what I want you to think about. This is what I think about. To save me, to save me, Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To save me and accept my sins, the Father had to leave his Son unattended. Hmm. And Jesus went through all this to save me. He must really want me saved. I mean, face it, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You guys can play this game yourself, but I'll be honest about this. I don't think I'd have done it. Not for me. I don't want to be mean, but I don't think I'd have done it for any of you. God did. Jesus did. And so when he calls me to be faithful to him and to put him first... I fail so many times at that and have to beg for his forgiveness again. But do I know he loved me? For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Wow. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 6. Caleb mentioned this, I think, in his prayer. For while we were still helpless at the right time, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. You ever been ungodly? Guilty. We could jump back in Romans 3, or we could jump forward in Romans 6. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you're at the age or ability of accountability, then you've sinned. And Romans 6.23 says, You're the one that deserved to be on the cross. You're the one that deserved the set death sentence but he took it for you. And we're not just talking about the spirit being separated from the body. We're talking about being separated for eternity in hell from God. So it says here in verse 7, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. There has been people die for other people, right? But God demonstrates. But God demonstrates. I kind of like demonstrations. You know, today we're working on a vehicle yesterday and the day before, and I was getting, this is getting kind of silly. So you know what you do? You go online and you watch someone else do it. 
They can tell me something, but if I can watch them do it, if they'll demonstrate, you know what? I could, I, I think if they'd show me how to do surgery, I could take that gallbladder out. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying they would allow that, but I'll guarantee you if they gave me a video, I said I can do that. But no, you look at that demonstration is every because that shows you really mean it. You really did it. God demonstrates His own love for us, not just words. Jesus says it like this, John 14, 15, If you love me, just let me know. No. If you love me, you keep my commandments. So God demonstrates His own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. Oh, he just goes on. I'd like to even go on further in the text, but I don't have time. Christ went through all that and was nailed to a cross and was ridiculed to save you. Now, if you go over, I think this is kind of interesting. In Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Now, let's realize something about Jesus. He was nailed to a cross. He was later. We didn't have time to look at it all. You can go back to Matthew 27 and read the rest of 27 and go into 28. But he was later laid in a tomb. He was buried in a tomb. Well, here in Romans 6 and verse 3, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized to his death? You want the benefits of that man's death, you got to reenact it yourself. And this verse says you do it by being baptized. Therefore, we have been buried with him. Burial's kind of interesting. Now, I've been in a lot of cemeteries, and I've yet to see one. I've seen someone being silly about it in Dodge City at Boot Hill, and they got some concrete boots sticking out of the ground, you know. Now, when you bury someone, let's say you... They bury one of your loved ones, and you go back the next day, and their leg's sticking out of the ground. You're going to be upset? You're going to be fit to be tied. This is not going to be good, is it? Buried. Buried in baptism. Baptism alone means to immerse. Into death, so as Christ was raised through the glory of the Father, who raised Jesus from the grave on that. Jesus didn't raise himself. Father raised him. Well, we're going to be raised up, and here's what it says, so that we might walk in this life. You're now going to get start your life over before God. Oh, yeah, if you're bald-headed when you go into water, you're going to be bald-headed when you come out. If you have brown eyes when you go under the water, you ain't going to have blue eyes. when you. You're, the only difference going to look at us, you're going to be wet. But you know what, God? You don't look the same to God. You went under the water with your sins. You come out of the water without your sins. And now you got to live like it. Wow. Well, who's he think he is for all these demands? Don't you remember Matthew 27? If I could just remember to think more about the cross, I'd probably do a real good job of not thinking so much about myself. Now, look at another one. I don't even have it written down on here, and we'll go to some others, but I have to mention this one. 1 Corinthians 
chapter 11. From 23 through the end of the chapter, he's going to talk about the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we call it communion. That's fine. This, this chapter 11 is where that term of communion comes from. But I want you to see a few things here. He says up in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered from you, the Lord in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the bread's going to be symbolic of his body that was beaten. In the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. So I know we're talking about the content, not the vessel, because you can't drink the vessel. Do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until I come. So when it's time to partake the Lord's Supper, we'll do that after the lesson invitation. That's serious business, isn't it? You better be walking into this life when you partake of that. He goes on and says, but a man, that would also be any person, a woman, must examine himself, and so doing, he is to eat and drink the bread. But what happens if you eat and drink of that bread, eat of that bread and drink of that fruit of the vine, and you're not, and you're living in sin? You can look at it. You're eating and drinking condemnation to yourself. Now, the point is, you shouldn't drink it. The point is, you better correct it. But definitely don't eat and drink of it if you're not right with him. Fix it. So we think about that. Who's he think he is asking all this to me? He's the guy they spit on. He's the guy they crammed the thorns on. He's the guy they beat within an inch of his life with a scourge. He's the one that one of his best friends kissed and betrayed him. And a matter of fact, even when he's on trial, another really good friend... Denies him three times even before the cock crows. The difference of that man, when he leaves, he leaves weeping. I can't even imagine what that looked like when Peter looked up and saw Jesus looking at him. Obviously, he repented, didn't he? Because we can see what happens from that point. So you can correct it when you lose your focus. But so many things we could look at. I need to move along here a little bit. Turn with me over to, I'm going to hit two passages real quick. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. You got that? Now, I do understand this term because it means take aim. Since... Shoot a bow, shoot a gun. I understand this take aim. I understand being really focused. I understand not letting things distract you, getting in this window, staying in here. No matter if anybody yells, hey, whatever, you still stay on that. You don't jump. You don't flinch. So he says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Why did he endure that? Because he knew the, he knew heaven. Why am I going to do it? 
because he knew heaven and I get to go there. And he told me a few things about it. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and I sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured, I don't like that word, such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why did Jesus go through all that? So I'd stay focused on him and keep on keeping on. He's proof. One more passage on that point. Turn over to 1 Peter 2. I know I got a lot more here, and I'm not going to even try to get through it all. But I'm going to read 21. I'll stop at 24 for time's sake. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ suffered for you, leaving you example that you might follow in his steps. Since he's in heaven, that's the steps I want to follow. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. I'm ashamed of that statement. So that, we might die, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you're healed. You know how many of you deserve to go heaven? Not a one of us. You guys have heard me say this. I have no problem making this statement. I know this is true. If Kendall gets what he deserves, he's going straight to hell. But I'm not going to get what I deserve. I don't want what I deserve. I want what he deserved. I want his mercy and his grace. I know I can only receive that if I'm in Christ. I know I can only receive that if I remain in Christ, if I live according to his word, if I make sure my life brings glory and honor to him. We've got to remember who we are. Now, in the first sermon that is preached in the establishment of church in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches that sermon. In verse 41 of that, after preaching that sermon, it says about 3,000 souls are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Now that's an invitation. I have no idea how long it'd take to baptize 3,000 people. Maybe they kept a film clip of that so when I get to heaven I can watch it. I don't. It's amazing. But I want you to see just a few points of what Peter says in this sermon. I don't have time to hit much of it. So go to uh, verse 23. Talking about Jesus, he says, This man delivered over by a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you, he tells these Jews, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And I'm as guilty as they are because of my sin. If you go on down in verse 36, it says, Therefore let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's expecting us to take personal responsibility here, isn't he? You know what they would want to do? Same thing. Uh, the Romans did it. Or did the Jews do it? Romans did do it. The Jews did do it. Did Kendall do it? Did you do it? You're going to have to take personal responsibility here. You know, it's easy. Well, you know, 
I might have done some of it, but I'm telling you what, the Romans are the ones that drove the nails. Isn't that funny how we always want a scapegoat? You know, when Jesus talking to Peter after his resurrection, before he sends him to heaven, he talks to him and tells him how he needs to straighten up, and he asks him if he loves him, and Peter says, yes, he loves him, but Jesus' point is, well, then why aren't you feeding my sheep? If you love me, why aren't you doing what I trained you to do for two and a half, three years? Why are you back here catching fish again? Why'd you go back to the life I called you from? And Peter, you know, he's like everybody else. He sees John. Well, yeah, but what about John? I won't look at myself. So, yeah, I know that, but what about Ben? Look, I might not be good, but look at Ben. You know, isn't that way people work? Here's what I got to do. I, that Lord's Supper, I got to examine myself. Isn't it amazing that when you first get in Acts 2, they become Christians on the first day of the week, immediately they partake of the Lord's Supper. You get to Acts 20, verse 7, they're still coming together to break bread on the first day of the week. You get all the way in 1 Corinthians 11, it doesn't mention that first day of the week there when it talks about communion or the Lord's Supper. But you can obviously see they're still meeting on the first day of every week when you get to chapter 16 when it says they're still giving on the first day of every week. There is no, nothing that would say, well, they did it the first day of every week, so we're going to do it monthly. Where do you get this stuff? Or we're going to do it quarterly. Why don't you do it on the first day of the week like he said? And doesn't that only make sense since Jesus died on the first day of the week? And let me tell you what, Patrice was picking on me today. Can you guys believe that? About my forgetter working better than my remember. Did you know God knows that? He says, we better do that on the first day of our week because Kendall, he don't remember too well. If we can keep it right in front of him all the time, he'll do better. That's how come it's so important to try to read the Bible every day. Because if you don't, it's easy to lose focus. That's how come it's important that the Bible would teach, like in Hebrews 10, 25, we need, when the church assembles together, you need to be here. Tells you not to forsake it. That's how you encourage brethren. That's how you receive encouragement. So not only are you robbing from others, you're robbing from yourself. Not to mention you're robbing from God, and I'm pretty sure you don't want to be in that boat. So much. So just a couple more, real quick. That clock, I hope it don't work. Uh, Luke chapter 14. I, I'll make a deal with you. If I go over, I'll go last in line at lunch. Luke 14. See? See how easy I'm in? Luke 14. So much here. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Now, if you jump back a few chapters in Luke, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, he talks about that cross before that when he says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, how, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Sounds like you want to come after Jesus. Well, here's what it takes. Jesus said it. If you got a red letter edition, it's in red. I tell people my Bible's all black ink, but it's a red letter edition. I read it. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Oh, let's, let's get that part. Let's get that out of here. And take up his cross daily. You know, just surely 1030 on Sunday, that's enough. I have, in my whole life, I'm just going to tell you, you guys can 
say I went from preaching and went to meddling if you want. I have never understood in my whole life why people wouldn't be here every time. I, I couldn't understand why people would think they can show up one special time a week. Where do you get this special time a week? I know nowhere does it say, and I even know in the first century, they wouldn't have worshipped at 1030 on Sunday morning. That wouldn't have happened. I know that wouldn't have happened because they worked on Sunday. They worshipped after dark. Of course, he doesn't spend a lot of time with that because he don't care when as long as it's on the first day of the week. But then we also got us coming together for Bible. You need to be there. When the church assembles together, you got to be committed. You know, when I used to play sports, do you know the coach expected me to show up for all the practices? Do you know when I coached football, I had got kids that didn't understand that. You know what they found out real quick? If they missed two practices in a week, I don't care if they were my starting quarterback, they didn't start. And if they missed three in a week, they didn't play, period. I don't care who they were or who their daddy was or who they were related to. I don't care. Because you got to be there if you're going to be what the team needs you to be. And we got to know we can count on you. Do you know part of it's just showing up? Is it with that, like that with employees too, Dennis? If you can just get them to show up. He's looking over at Kelly. Kelly knows that too. <laughs> yeah. If you, first, if we can just get them to show up, that's half of it. I sometimes wonder if the Lord, how do I get them to show up? If they'll grasp the cross, they'll be there every time. Man, I owe him things I can never repay. One last passage, Galatians chapter 6. I got a lot more on here, but you don't have time today. Galatians 6 and verse 14. Here it is. But may it never be that I would boast, except in my wonderful hairline. No, except in the cross. See how specific is this? Not just in our Lord Jesus Christ, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Wow, so it isn't just Jesus who gets crucified in this Christianity thing. I have to be crucified in this Christianity thing. So isn't it amazing, to me it is amazing, and I wish we had time to look at more of it. Jesus died so you can go to heaven. If you got questions about what I'm about to say, you can talk to me afterwards. I'll be glad to sit down and talk to you about it. But the Bible would tell us that to be saved, you have to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And once you believe that, like Romans 10, 9, and 10, you have to confess that with your own mouth. You have to own up. You have to be heard. And once you believed it because you heard it and you confessed it, you must repent. Jesus said it this plain, Luke 13, 3 and 13, 5. He repeated himself in three verses. That's a big deal. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And one must submit to being buried in a watery grave of baptism. Well, 1 Peter 3.21 says it this plain, baptism. You can read it. I'm, I'm, I'm only going to give you the Bible. Baptism now saves you. Not any one of those things by itself, all three of those things. You bury dead people. It, what would happen? Let's say, I don't know, we'll pick on Jason. 
Jason looks like a good guy to pick on. So we're going to go bury him out in the backyard today. We're going to dig a big hole, and we're going to bury him. We're going to bury him. And we dig a hole six foot deep, and we bury him. Are we going to get in trouble? Why? They bury people all the time. They don't get in trouble because he's still alive. You got to bury dead things. Let me tell you what. It wouldn't be a big deal if a live person lays down, a live person gets up, would it? But what about if they're dead for days? And then they come out of the grave. I've done a lot of funerals in my life. I've looked in a lot of caskets. I've seen people laid in the ground. If three days later I... One of them met me in Walmart or something said, hey, can I, what, what is going on? We got to put our old man of sin to death, Romans 6 and verse uh, 6. We've got to make sure we're raised up to walk in newness of life. That's how you become a Christian. I don't care what everyone says or what they believe. That's what the Bible says. You've got to hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. And at that point, you become saved. And Jesus, Acts 2 and verse 47, adds you to his church. That's where he puts all the saved in his church. That's all we want to be, right? The saved in his church. Ephesians 5, 23, Jesus, the Savior of the body, his church. We might be Christians, already done all that. But we've been living the way we used to live. And now we got to ask for God's forgiveness. But first thing, we got to own up and say, I'm guilty again. And then we got to change our ways. If we can help you this morning, we'd love to do that. But let me tell you, the real help you need comes from God. And the only help we got to offer you comes from God. And it's kind of neat. It's right here in this book. If you come and ask me a question, if you're a visitor here, even if you're a member here, you come and ask me a question about something about God, I'm going to take you to the book. We're going to look and see where it's at. I want you to see it because God said so. If we can help you this morning in your relationship with God in any way, please come as we stand and sing.